This week, we go deep into the minds of 1995 with the Descent series by Parallax Software. That, the news, emails, and all the other usual suspects on the Upper Memory Block podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of the Upper Memory Block podcast. As usual, I am your host, Joe, and I am very, very happy to welcome you all back to another fun episode where we are going to delve deep into yet another game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. So not a ton to report as of late. Uh, Life has been slightly not boring, but uh, as I mentioned in previous episodes, my wife Fran has uh, started a new job, and we're just basically trying to uh, figure out ways to you know readjust to uh, to her working, not being home during the day, and all that. So yeah, just a little bit of a little bit of life change going on right now. We're still training for for the 30k race, which is uh, a mere at this point about three weeks away. It has been ridiculously hot here in Toronto. It continues to be ridiculously hot and ridiculously humid. And obviously that has a little bit of uh, a bearing on our training schedule and a little bit of bearing on our comfort levels in general. And God knows the air conditioning has been running pretty much nonstop. But uh, aside from that, yeah, life life is normal. Life is as it has been. And enough about me. Let us get on to the news. So not a ton this week. The first little bit of news is actually some uh, some podcast news, I guess, We could say. So in the time between uh, the last episode and this episode, I fired off a a little email to uh, goodoldgamesgog.com to uh, inquire about their affiliate program. Uh, Turns out they have one and uh, I have uh, entered it. So they're not sponsoring the show or anything like that. So I'm not going to break in with commercials talking about how awesome they are, though they are pretty awesome, at least for my purposes. Uh, basically all this means is that if, uh, you planned on buying a game from GOG, be it the game I'm talking about or anything else, or even if you just wanted to, uh, to start up a, an account on the site, I'd greatly appreciate it if, uh, you could go to the podcast website, uh, umbcast.com, as I'm so fond of, of pointing out and, uh, getting there by here, I, on, on the right sidebar of, of the site, I have some links to GOG.com. Uh, there's always going to be a link to the main site, and if the current or the current or next game that I'm talking about is going to be available on this is available on on GOG, I'm gonna I'll have a link directly to that. So if you were planning on purchasing the game, which uh, you know most of these games on GOG range from three to five bucks, so you know it's not a huge impact to your wallet. So if you were planning to pick it up, I'd greatly appreciate it. As I said, if uh, you would get there by going to my site, clicking on the affiliate links, either in the right sidebar or the links in the show notes. Um, aside from that, like I guess I had no, no big pushes, no big anything like that. Uh, I've been told that they may have some, some giveaways, some game codes and things like that, that I may see in the near future. So if I get those, obviously I'll fire those off to you guys in some way, shape or form, maybe a contest, maybe a random drawing, something like that. So yay, GOG.com affiliate program. Huzzah. 
Next, uh, last week's episode, or last time around, last our last episode on uh, on Red Baron, got me on a little bit of a uh, not a kick, a flight sim kick so much, but I, it, it got me interested in seeing what the flight sim realm was looking like today. Uh, I poked around a little bit and I came across Microsoft Flight, which I guess is uh, the current incarnation of the venerable Microsoft Flight Simulator. Uh, series. Now, the interesting thing about Microsoft Flight is uh, it appears to be a free-to-play game. So it looks like you get the base game, which gives you limited locations. I think you get uh, you get to fly around Hawaii, and I think there might be one other location, and a limited number of aircraft, and you can buy additional aircraft and additional locations and packages for 10 bucks or something like that. But, uh, you know, I think based on my uh, my fun that I had playing Red Baron last time around and, you know, just flying around, not even necessarily dogfighting, uh, I think I'm going to give this a go. I mean, it's free. Hey, what have I got to lose? So uh, you can find, I'll, I'll link Microsoft Flight's site in, uh, in the show notes, and you can also get the free download off of Steam. Finally, for the news, uh, I blogged about this during the week, but uh, I came across this really, really great article uh, about... The Making of Warcraft, the original Warcraft Orcs versus Humans uh, real-time strategy game. Now, the cool thing about this article it was is it was actually written by a former Blizzard executive who's been with the company since pretty much, not necessarily day one, but very early on. And he was actually at one point the first and only developer building, uh, building Warcraft. So he goes into an incredible detail about where the ideas for the game came from, and the inspiration, which surprisingly enough turns out to be, or not surprisingly enough, turns out to be Dune 2 that I covered in uh, a little bit in the Command & Conquer episode. And, uh, you know, just really cool stuff that at least, that if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in. Uh, You know, just things like technical issues, what kind of, how they went around handling the memory, and just, you know, really interesting development problems and creative problems and business problems that they ran into. Uh, this is part one. I haven't come across part two as of yet, but I will definitely keep an eye out and uh, maybe post that up on the blog or at least on the Facebook and Twitter of, uh, of the podcast. So yeah, please check that out. It's, uh, I found it on Kotaku, but the original site is, uh, is Code of Honor. I will, of course, link it in the show notes. And it's a really, really, really awesome read. So before we get on to the main topic, uh, great listener BJ sent me a really awesome detailed email calling back to the emulation episode. Uh, it's, it's a touch long, but since I talk about DOSBox and ScumVM pretty much almost every show, I definitely think it bears a, it bears a reading. So BJ writes, hello to the Upper Memory Block podcast audience. My name is BJ Wanland, and... I wanted to send in a comment on your last show on DOSBox and ScumVM. Uh, now, before I get into the comment, I have a confession to make. I play tons of older games via DOSBox and ScumVM, but for the most part, I never played those games when they originally came out. I can explain, though. Whenever I'd play a game on my family's IBM-compatible computer that we had at the time, it was almost always a game that we'd buy at a yard sale or on a disc that my dad would bring home from work, which meant that many of the games I played back in the day were either very, very old, secondhand newer titles, or pirated. Uh, For the most part, my gaming was comprised of edutainment and older games. 
What's hilarious is that nowadays my gaming is comprised of older games, many of which I never played in their original timeframes, ironically, and some newer titles thrown into the mix. I guess some things never change. Anyhow, here is my experience on DOSBox and ScumVM, and some recommendations. I actually discovered these apps at around the same time. I had picked up something called PC Action Emulate Magazine at my local Harris Teeter. It's an American grocery store for those of you who live overseas, a number of years back. It was quite a bit bigger than your standard American magazine, and it also contained all of these really neato emulators on a cover disc. Of course, they went over each system that they included emulators for, and even had a special section that covered playing older PC games with these amazing apps called DOSBox and ScumVM. Those apps, at the time, the mid-2000s, covered about 75% or so of the games that one would want to play from the pre-Windows XP timeframe, as a lot of the older Windows-based games still had trouble running on modern systems at that point, as good old games had not come into existence yet, and DOSBox and ScumVM had slightly more limited compatibility than they do now. There are DOSBox frontends, but the strange thing was, at that point I was running a 500MHz Windows PC, and as such I used a DOSBox frontend called Defend Reloaded, because I was having trouble getting the games to run without going through the entire setup process of mounting drives, etc. every single time I wanted to play that game. I will still recommend Defend Reloaded to Windows users, although I have not used that front end in quite a number of years as I switched to Mac OS X back in 2006. But that brings us to my DOSBox recommendation. If you own a newer Mac and have the right Mac OS X version, you can use a ridiculously cool standalone app that also serves as a front end of sorts for DOSBox called Boxer from BoxerApp.com. Boxer is basically a setup, sorry, Boxer is basically set up so that you can install your DOS-based CD game, or more likely you can drag a game folder into if you bought a DOS game on Steam like Commander Keen, or on good old games like Wing Commander, uh, it'll just work. There are some major exceptions though. Any of the Blizzard CD games that say they will work on MS-DOS and Macintosh will unsuccessfully try to install on the Macintosh version, and that includes a game I've sunk way too much time into called Warcraft 2 Tides of Darkness, which I just recently got working properly. What you have to do with those kinds of games is find a way of creating a bin plus Q image of the disk in question on a Windows machine or Windows partition because you want the MS-DOS partition of the CD-ROM and not the Mac version, and then copy your Gamebox folder from Warcraft 2, which is what Boss Boxer installs these games into. The app is still in active development, and version 1.3 is out now, which according to the developer will be the last one with PowerPC and OS, or OS X 10.5 Leopard support. As far as ScumVM goes, the compatibility has absolutely skyrocketed since the days I played it. You can now play all the Sierra Adventure games on ScumVM, including the Space Quest games that Joe mentioned on a previous show. I haven't played that many games with ScumVM, but there are some incredible resources for free games to give it a whirl on the ScumVM downloads page at scumvm.org, such as Beneath a Steel Sky or Flight of the Amazon Queen. Also, ScumVM has been ported to just about every single platform under the sun, from the Sega Dreamcast, oddly enough, to yield PC and Mac platforms. Thank you so much, Joe, for giving us amazing content and letting us get involved. I've listened to Retro Gaming Radio for quite some time, but I really like this particular twist on, retro, on the Retro Gaming podcast idea to focus on one retro gaming topic on every podcast. So keep up a fantastic work, and I can't wait for each new Upper Memory Block podcast. Well, thanks a lot, BJ. That's a really, really great email, and that's some great info. Uh, I, I had heard of Boxer before. Actually, it came up this week for me on the uh, on the SpaceQuest.net forums, where some people were talking about 
this stuff. And uh, one person mentioned that there were a couple of small issues with Boxer. Well, you brought up one. And also, it does use DOSBox, but it uses kind of like a custom modified version of it, which uh, which can lead to some issues. And also, it's not supported by DOSBox and things like that. But the interface is super cool. The interface is, is super amazing. It basically looks a lot like uh, like iBooks, like the iBooks store. Like you get you have shelves, and your game goes goes on a shelf, and you click it to start it, and all that stuff. So you know, if you don't run into any issues with it, I haven't used it myself, but my understanding is it's probably one of the easier emulators to to use because it's all graphical and pretty and all that. So thanks so much for that email, and uh, you know, thanks for listening, and and thanks for the compliments, and all that. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for All right, so now that the news and the emails are out of the way, we move on to the main topic of the show, Descent. The Descentverse, I guess we could say, is a series of five games spread across two major sub-series. This week, we're going to concentrate on the main Descent series, which falls under the first-person shooter genre. The first game, ooh, excuse me, the first game known simply as Descent was released in 1995 and was developed by Parallax Software and published by our friends at Interplay. So, as usual, let's talk about the genre. Uh, now, we've spoken of the first person shooter genre a mere three episodes ago with the granddaddy of them all, Wolfenstein 3D. So, on a very superficial level, Descent matches up to my description of the genre back in that episode. Uh, You see the world out of the eyes of your avatar. You clear a variety of levels by defeating enemies, collecting power-ups, defeating bosses, etc. If I leave the discussion of the game there, uh, I won't have told you anything incorrect, but I've definitely left out some big chunks of uniqueness. I'll get to those in the gameplay section, but for now, suffice it to say that this definitely has the qualities of a first-person shooter. So on to the story. The story of Descent is simultaneously much more engaging and also equally thin when compared to the paltry and, at times, I guess we could say, downright silly story of Wolfenstein 3D. Uh, Upon starting a new game, you are launched into a relatively lengthy intro sequence, which provides a good amount of framing, both of the world the game takes place in and the general attitude of your character. Uh, You're in an office with a highly ranked executive of the Post-Terran Minerals Corporation, or PTMC, a large corporation which exploits mineral resources throughout the Terran solar system. It turns out that you are a quote-unquote material defender, effectively a type of, uh, I guess we could say, corporate mercenary. Your designation is Material Defender 1032, or simply MD-1032. It turns out that some kind of alien computer virus has infected all of PTMC's mining robots across the entire solar system. This has caused the robots to go rogue, trapping any human PTMC personnel in the mines. Much more importantly, however, this also halts the flow of minerals to the market, and by extension, the flow of money into PTMC's coffers. Suffice it to say, PTMC upper management is very, very motivated to regain control of their mines preferably with minimal loss of productivity and damage to any of their capital assets. Oh, and also, if you have time, save the trap miners, but that's optional. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to pilot your small one-man spacecraft known as a Pyro-GX 
into each of the PTMC's mining facilities starting out on the moon and radiating out towards Pluto. In each mining facility, you are to seek out and destroy the reactor core, which should, in turn, shut down all of the infected robots. Also, if you can, find the exit and escape the mine within 45 seconds, or you'll blow up right along with the mine. Of course, it turns out that as you get farther away from Earth, each mine is more challenging than the last and decidedly more military-oriented than the last. Finally, the game culminates on Pluto's moon of Sharon, which, if memory serves, coincidentally has some connection to the underworld or hell or something like that in Greek mythology, so that's pretty fitting, I guess, for the the epic final level of the game. Uh, Here you must defeat the final boss in, as I just said, an epic battle. Uh, Upon completing this objective, you win the game! Well, you sort of win the game. The game ends, let's say, at the very least. In a very well-written text and still image sequence, you find out that despite completing your mission, PTMC management now feels that the virus which overtook the mining robots may have infected your craft. Obviously, this means they cannot have you return to the orbital station near Earth where you began this whole ordeal. Additionally, PTMC has lost all contact with their installations outside of the solar system. You angrily switch off the transmission, but not before PTMC sends you coordinates in the asteroid belt. You grudgingly set your course that way and hope to find either some answers or at least some idea how to get out of this mess. So here the game ends and leads us into Descent 2. As you load into Descent 2, there's no stopping. The story rolls right on. You proceed to the refueling station indicated in the in the asteroid belt that you were given coordinates to, and you receive a new message from the PTMC exec, who we now learn is named Dravis. Here's the intro to Descent 2 to give you a bit more of the details and a little bit of, uh, of ideas into the world. The heavy tower docking control to unidentified approaching vessel. Your intended course and identify yourself. This is Vertigo 1 on approach to PTMC Outer Rim Station MIL 132. Request clearance to dock. Vertigo 1, please confirm security clearance A7. Affirmative. Transmitting now. Vertigo 1, you are cleared for docking bay 3. Overwhelming as ever, Dravis. We have traced the alien infestations vector from our holdings in the Zeta Aquilae system, where we require you to gather reconnaissance information. We are fitting your ship with a warp drive prototype for the jump. Oh, I've already fulfilled my contractual obligations, Dravis. I'm not doing any more of your dirty work. Ah, yes, your primary obligations have indeed been met, but. If you study your standard mercenary agreement, you will notice the PTMC reserves the right to keep you on retainer for up to 72 hours post-mission. Dravis, you son of a... If you choose to decline further service, we may consider you in default in your contract, and your fee may be suspended pending litigation. Good luck, material defender. Dravis, out. I knew it! I knew PTMC would find a way to cheat me. I couldn't care less if they sue me, but they left me with no choice if I want my money. Initiate a jump free sequence. 
And here I thought indentured servitude ended in the 21st century. I only hope this is just a reconnaissance mission and nothing more. So anyways, you know, it's interesting. Now that now that I listen to that, the material defender really sounds a lot like Bruce Boxleitner to me. You know, uh, the guy that played Tron. Anyways, I've, I haven't been able to... I, I googled really quick while that was playing and I didn't see anything, but, uh, you know, it may just be some guy that sounds like him. But anyways, um, you know, that gives you a little bit of an idea of the, uh, let's say, strained relationship between your character, the material defender, and uh, and PTMC. So the story goes on from there and into Descent 3, but I won't ruin the whole series for you. I just thought that, uh, you know, getting you kind of halfway through would be would be half decent. All right, I am going to spend the most time here talking to you about the gameplay. So the gameplay is what really makes this game incredibly unique when compared to other first-person shooters. So you may be asking me right now, Joe, the story you just explained to me is about a guy flying a ship and killing enemies. This really sounds like a space combat sim. Well, in a very simplistic manner, let's say, yes, you could roughly call this a space combat sim insofar as you're flying a ship and destroying enemies. However, where this comparison falls short is that space combat sims tend to simulate flying a spacecraft using controls similar to those of modern day aircraft. Now, this game does not do that. Uh, Descent takes the paradigm of the hallway crawling first-person shooter like Wolfenstein 3D, Doom, Quake, Unreal Tournament, and the rest, and wedges the player into a small spacecraft flying through winding subterranean mine passages. The fact that you're piloting a ship in zero-g instead of running around in gravity on foot offers up a bit more freedom than we're used to. In fact, the game box claims it offers us six degrees of freedom. Descent demands that you keep your sense of orientation in a fully 3D environment. Traditional FPS games require you to control your character along two axes plus forward and back. This means you have to worry about moving left and right, forward and backwards, and potentially pivoting up and down to aim your weapon, maybe jumping, something like that. Descent offers you full freedom of movement within the 3D labyrinth of the mine. You not only control those directions I just talked about, but you also control things like banking, vertical movement, sliding, etc. Ostensibly, each corridor in the maze has a top, bottom, and sides, but it really makes no difference to you as your ship can run through the mine upside down just as well as it can right side up. So this brings us to one of the first hurdles of learning to play Descent. All these additional degrees of freedom mean the controls are a touch more complex than those of a standard FPS, and honestly, even those of a standard flight sim. The game supports a wide variety of input devices, including keyboard, mouse, gamepad, joystick, or honestly any combination thereof. The game's controls are completely tweakable and mappable, which really does help you get comfortable. I honestly can't remember which control scheme I used when I was originally playing the game back in the 90s. Um, this time around... I started off with my joystick, maybe since I had just come off playing Red Baron, so I was approaching this with maybe a bit more of a flight sim mentality than, uh, than a first-person shooter mentality. 
I tried this approach for a few minutes and found that honestly, I really couldn't react, uh, couldn't react quickly enough to be at all competitive, even just, you know, in the single player game against the computer. I then Googled around some of the Descent community forums and found some all keyboard options, such as using WASD for the traditional kind of flat movement, let's say, and IJKL for kind of the extra non first person shooter rotational type movements. I also found this incredibly awkward, and I ended up using kind of a hybrid, modern PC, first-person shooter control style. I used the mouse for my looking around kind of movements, and uh, I used A and Z, or Z for the Americans, (laughs) for uh, the forward and backwards motions, S and X for vertical movement, and finally Q and W for lateral strafing. I still found myself pressing the wrong button at times, but overall, this works pretty well for me. It may not work well for you. Uh, Combing through these community forums reminded me that even more than, you know, which tactics to use, which weapons to use, how to approach enemies, and blah, 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 the best control setup for this game, even to this day, seems to be an ongoing debate amongst players. Heck, the game can be even set up to run using dual joysticks, which... If you think about it, it might even be the precursor to the dual analog sticks we see on pretty much all modern-day game controllers. Actually, come to think of it, you know, if I could make this game work with my wired Xbox 360 controller, I think that would work pretty well. You know, you use one side for you know, basically like a modern console-based first-person shooter. I think that would I think that would work pretty well. I'm going to give that a try after I finish recording this podcast. So, controls aside, Descent requires you to navigate through 27 levels plus 3 optional secret levels. The game starts out on Earth's moon and proceeds inward to Venus and Mercury and then outward to Mars across many of Jupiter's moons, Neptune, Pluto, and the final boss fight on Pluto's moon of Charon or Sharon or something like that. Now, of course, back in 1995, Pluto was still a planet. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure what they do today, but uh, you know, probably the same thing. So the secret levels are located in the asteroid belt and can be accessed using alternate exit doors on certain levels. Speaking of exit doors, I guess I haven't specifically covered the goal of each mine. Uh, simply put, your main goal in each level is to destroy that mine's power reactor. To get to the reactor room, most levels require you to find a series of colored keys to access locked out areas. Once you destroy the reactor, you have 45 seconds to escape the mine via an exit door. If you don't make it out in time, you still complete the level, however you lose a life, gain very few points, and lose any power-ups you gain during the level. Now later on in the game, maintaining your heavier weapons from level to level really does help and really does make life easier. Also, unlike other FPS games, when your ship is destroyed, all your power-ups are not lost. If you return to the site of your recent demise, you'll be able to recover most of them as they basically get kind of strewn around the general area of of where your ship blew up. Descent also featured very robust multiplayer gameplay. It offers a wide variety of game modes, including deathmatch and co-op play, one very cool thing that Descent pioneered was the idea of joining multiplayer games on the fly. In previous FPS games like Doom, all players taking part in a network game had to be queued and and ready to go for the match to even begin. 
Descent, for the first time really, allowed players to come and go as they pleased. In modern games like Halo or Call of Duty or things like that, we don't even think about this. It just works. But Descent was one of the first games to do it. Now, of course, the default game only supported the standard serial modem and IPX-based network games. Now, the IPX protocol, for people that may not be too aware of it, is a, is a novel network standard and was very, very common in companies and educational institutions at the time, kind of before the internet and the TCP IP protocol became very popular. Now, IPX did not translate to the internet and Descent itself had no capacity really for internet play. But that, of course, did not stop anyone from, from doing it. Or for, A service named Kali came into existence, which was an internet IPX gaming system. It allowed games like Descent to be played online. It would basically create kind of a fake network driver, a fake IPX driver that would connect to the internet and kind of do translation and whatever to make the game think that it was on a local network, whereas, you know, this service was actually translating that IPX traffic into TCP IP traffic over the internet. This led to a huge community of online descent players and even an organization known as the Invitational Descent Ladder or IDL. This was a ranked ladder of descent players which facilitated, I guess we could say quote unquote professional online play. Uh, you know, this ladder may have been one of the first or earliest esports games. So that's just a really quick overview of the Descent gameplay. There's a lot I didn't say, you know, about the different weapons, how you use them. Actually, one cool thing I do want to mention is uh, in fighting enemies in this game, uh, you know, you'll come around a corner and, and you'll run into either a room full of enemies or a single enemy or whatever. The cool thing here is that the enemy fire doesn't actually travel you know, very fast and it's actually all very avoidable. So, you know, a really cool tactic to take is kind of pop out around a corner. Enemy's going to be there. He's going to shoot you. You duck back behind the corner or move up, move down, move any direction. And, uh, you know, his fire will pass under you, beside you, whatever. You can slide back down and take them out. So, you know, really, really cool gameplay in, uh, in Descent. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... Alright, welcome to the tech focus section where we discuss a little bit of the technical specifications of the game. So the original release of Descent in 1995 supported 320 by 200, 256 color VGA graphics and required at the very least a 386, 33 megahertz machine with 4 megs of RAM to run. Now good luck getting it to actually be playable on such a machine however. Unlike previous first-person shooter games, Descent wasn't made up of sprites and flat 2D walls forced into a three-dimensional perspective. Descent was actually modeled and rendered in full 3D. For its time, this game was basically a bit of a beast. In 1995, discrete 3D cards were not really in circulation, 
so all the real-time 3D rendering had to be done by the processor in software. Suffice it to say, for the older machines of the time, like 386s and even lower-end 486s, this was a lot of work. To get it to run on a 386, you basically have to turn all the graphics settings down to minimum and shrink down your game viewport size so that you are playing the game looking out of a postage stamp at flat-colored triangles, basically. To get the most out of the game, you needed to be running at least probably a 486 DX266 MHz, or preferably one of the then-new cutting-edge Pentium machines. If I remember correctly, I think in 1995, we had just, or my father, not we, I had no money in 1995 because I was not very old. My father had purchased a, a Pentium 200, and that was, was a pretty cutting-edge, very expensive machine um, at, at the time. So with a high-end 486 or a newer Pentium and a good screen and a proper control setup, Descent was really, really, really a very impressive-looking and entertaining game. So on to the music. Now this, in my research, actually really surprised me. As far as I could see, the music for the original Descent was written by several different people at Interplay, since Parallax did not have an on-staff composer at the time. Despite this fact, the music in the game was pretty darn good. It's, it's pretty serviceable mid-90s kind of electronic music, which is very fitting in my mind, you know, to represent flying through a space mine in a little ship blasting robots. Uh, it was, of course, unlike Command and Conquer, which came out the same year, all MIDI. Uh, however, unlike previous games we've discussed, Descent took advantage of the newly emerging general MIDI standard. Uh, this standard was introduced to try and bring a bit more consistency to the MIDI world, with requirements like minimum number of simultaneous channels and a standardized sound for the 128 basic instruments. The game still supported older Sound Blaster and AdLib uh, FM synthesis cards, in addition to the now 7- or 8-year-old Roland MT32. Uh, the music sounded okay on the FM synth cards, as okay as, you know, a low, a very a first or second generation sound blaster and an ad-lib can sound. And using the MT32 really only resulted in a close but not quite right general MIDI sounding emulation, since basically what the game would do is, if you booted up the MT32, the game would load kind of a custom, uh, a custom sound patch onto it, to make it replicate General MIDI as much as it was capable of. I actually started the game using my MT32 and I decided that it wasn't really worth my while and uh, I flipped it over to General MIDI. Now the best reproduction at the time of General MIDI music was via another Roland device, the Roland Sound Canvas 55 or SC55. This was another external MIDI synth like the MT32 and I am happy to announce that just today I was able to get my hands on one of these babies from eBay. Uh, I won the auction, it's, it's gonna be shipped and all that noise, so, uh, you know, I'm gonna get, so now I have really, really great Roland MT32 sound, and in a few weeks, I will have really great Roland SC55 general meaty sound. Hooray for me. Now, luckily, you can get your hands on some really great lossless recordings of the game soundtrack recorded from an SC55 if, like me until today, you don't actually have one. Uh, if you remember back to the Space Quest episode, uh, Brandon Bloom, the guy that played that really, really cool Space Quest 4 kind of metal medley that I played at the end of the show, provided 
some Descent SC55 recordings on, on quite a few Descent community sites. In the Where to Get It Today section, I'll talk about a way to use those recordings in your gameplay so that you can get the best music and sound effects experience possible while you're playing Descent, even if you don't have the appropriate hardware. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... All right, on to the dev story. Uh, I must say, I've been doing the show for 10 episodes now, which translates to about five, just under six months. And the thing I keep hearing from people over and over again is that they love the dev story section. Now that makes me really, really happy since I personally really do love knowing about how all these games were made, what business, technical, and personal barriers were encountered, and other really great tidbits about why things turned out the way they did. That said, let's, let's see what, uh, what there is to see about Descent. Now, interestingly, Descent and Parallax Software, its developer, are inexorably linked since the Descent series of games comprise really the company's only published titles. Now, since I didn't play a ton of Descent at the time back in 1995, this time around, I found it odd when, you know, the game booted up and I saw this big splash screen that said Parallax Software, and I had no recollection of who Parallax was. Well, I guess since the only game the only series of games they actually released was Descent, that's probably a good reason why. So Parallax was founded in 1993, so we're moving a little more forward in time. A lot of companies we've talked about were founded you know, more in the early 80s and all that. This is the first, I think, company we're talking about that was founded right in the 90s. So 1993, it was founded by two guys. I'm going to butcher this. I believe his name is Matt Toshlog and Mike Kulas. So Mike Kulas started off in the gaming industry around 1981, working for a company called Sublogic and helping to release numerous versions of Sublogic's flight simulator, which was, uh, which was licensed by Microsoft and released as their venerable Microsoft Flight Simulator. So that's pretty coincidental that I came across Microsoft Flight this week. And now we're talking about Mike Kulas working on kind of the much, much older versions of the same series. It was working on this Microsoft or this flight simulator project where he encountered his very, very long dreadlocked counterpart and soon to be business partner, Matt Toshlog. In an interview, Matt states that he started programming in high school and ended up doing that more than he actually did concentrating on school and basically ended up flunking out of high school. At 19 years old, he was able to get a job at, coincidentally, Sublogic Programming Flight Simulator. Uh, there, Mike and Matt, you know, became friends and, you know, worked together and all that. And uh, a little while later, both of them together moved from Sublogic over to Looking Glass Software, where they both worked on Ultima Underworld. More importantly, however, Matt also worked on the 1994 3D first-person action-adventure game called System Shock. Now, if you go and look at System Shock, you know, go on YouTube, watch some gameplay footage, you'll see that, well, it's, you know, it doesn't look a lot like this. It doesn't necessarily look like Descent. There's a lot of kind of similarities in the way the 3D is rendered and the way things move around and stuff like that between System Shock and Descent. So as much as Matt liked working on Ultima Underworld, System Shock, and Flight Sim and all these other games, he had an idea for his own game. He wanted to make a hybrid of a space combat simulator and a first-person shooter. 
he shopped his idea around Looking Glass to, you know, various colleagues and management and whatever to no avail. The only person in the company who showed interest in the idea was, of course, his good friend Mike Kulas. In 1993, the pair left Looking Glass to form Parallax Software and begin work on Matt's idea for a 3D shooter, which they were calling Descent. Descent was very innovative through its use of what is known as a portal rendering system. So this system was very efficient for rendering the large 3D environments used in the game. Previous games, like Doom and Wolfenstein 3D, used a system known as binary space partitioning to render their scenes. Now, binary space partitioning used a fun computer science concept known as a binary tree to tell the renderer which objects to show on the screen depending on which other objects were closest to you. Now, the problem with the binary tree is that the system needed to consider all objects in the entire map, like, you know, all the walls, all the enemies, all the power-ups, all the miscellaneous other objects, like, say, Wolfenstein 3D and, you know, like a chair and a cell and all that stuff. So I'd have to consider all that stuff every time a view update was required. And a view update was required basically every time your character moved, which in first-person shooters is basically all the time. Uh, in very large environments, this could become very inefficient. So instead of trying to generate these massive tree structures for rendering, Descent went about it this way. Now, if you go into the game and you, you hit tab, it'll open up a 3D na wireframe navigation map. Uh, you see very quickly that all Descent maps are basically made up of a bunch of cubes. Some are normal, some are stretched, or some are otherwise deformed. The only restriction in this cube-based uh, portal rendering engine was that the, uh, the cubes always had to be convex. So they had to be like you were looking at, if you were inside the middle of, of a sphere and looking outside, you know, the, the curve could never curve towards you. It always had to curve away from you in a convex shape. That was the only restriction. So each level is split into a group of sections which are separated by, in the game, what are considered to be closed doors, which in the game actually are. They're closed doors. If you want to open them, you shoot them and they open up. Uh, so as long as all the doors remain closed, the rendering engine only needs to consider the 3D rendering information for the current section, and it can safely ignore items in all the other sections because it knows if that one door is closed, that section cannot be seen. Now, this greatly speeds up rendering when compared to the, uh, the, the BSP system, the binary, whatever it was called, because that system always had to consider all the objects, whereas this only had to consider objects in your current section. Uh, when you open the door, obviously, that spills you into another section. It spills your view into another section. However, the game knows that if you're not through that door as of yet, the only thing it needs to worry about are objects in the same room as the door. Once you pass through the door, the renderer can forget all the objects from the previous section and only consider objects in the new section. By limiting the amount of map and object data the software renderer has to deal with at any one time, the portal rendering system can animate things much faster which translates to more fast-paced gameplay and the possibility of larger, more complex environments, which, when compared to those other games, Descent most definitely has. 
So as complex as this sounds, and you know, honestly, it is somewhat complex, and you know, hopefully I was able to explain it in a reasonable way, the portal rendering system is certainly one of Matt Toshlog's claim to fame, and pretty much the basis for Descent's success. So in addition, not only were the environments done in full 3D, but so were the enemies. Descent renders enemy robots using 3D polygon meshes, though it's still stuck tra to traditional sprites for power-ups and miners that you can save in each level. And now finally, Descent introduced a fairly elaborate static lighting model, which allowed various areas of the maps to be placed in light or darkness. The original game also contained a very simple dynamic lighting model, which would allow a player to fire a flare, which would cast light around itself to expose darkened areas. Again, even these simple lighting models were an advancement over previous games in the genre. So, in March 1995, Descent released to the world. It was a very popular game which resonated with most of the people that got the chance to play it. Sadly, one thing worked against it. That one thing was that it came out about a year after Doom. Doom's release spawned a huge amount of Doom clones, which flooded the market and kind of burned people out on non-id-created first-person shooters. Now, despite its incredible uniqueness, many potential Descent players looked at the ads and looked at the demos, concluded this is a Doom clone, and they skipped it. Uh, shortly thereafter, a company called Brainwave built the Descent Mission Builder, which allows players to create their own single and multiplayer maps for the game. Interplay published it along with a level-building contest. The winning levels from this contest were packaged into a popular add-on called Descent Levels in the or sorry, Descent Levels of the World. Finally, this brings us to 1996 and Descent 2. By this time, Matt Toshlog had moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan with his wife, while Mike Kulas remained in Champaign, Illinois, where uh, they had originally founded the company. Development of Descent 2 proceeded with two teams in these two locations. Now, originally, the sequel was planned as a simple expansion to the first game. However, a business decision was made to release it as a sequel. Descent 2 offers more weapons, different enemies, more creative and complex maps, and a few other gameplay tweaks such as a guide bot that can assist you in various ways. The graphics engine was slightly updated with the ability to have uh, you know, different palettes of 256 colors, more advanced lighting model, and the beginnings of support for first-gen 3D accelerators. Now, the music in Descent 2 was kind of a transitional phase. It supported both MIDI and CD audio tracks, composed by a range of electronic artists, including uh, the only one that I recognized, Skinny Puppy. It also sported a mission builder and an expansion containing 23 new missions and two new multiplayer game modes. Uh, sadly, after the release of Descent 2, it was decided that things would be much easier if the two remote teams split up to form separate companies. So, like I said, shortly after Descent 2 came out, Parallax Software ceased to exist. Uh, Matt founded Outrage Entertainment, and Mike founded Volition Incorporated. Volition went on to create the Descent Free Space series of pure space simulators. Aside from the Descent name, these games had pretty much nothing to do with the original series or their universe, their gameplay style, anything like that. Now, Free Space is an incredible series in and of itself and deserves a podcast on its own, so I'm not really going to go into it here. Uh, Outrage Entertainment went on to produce Descent 3 in 1999. This third game was a huge upgrade over the previous two games. The engine was totally upgraded, allowing for indoor and outdoor environments, both of which felt much more open than the closed-in minds of the previous games. Mission objectives were more varied, 
and uh, the player had the opportunity to unlock additional ship types with, uh, with different characteristics. Descent 3 was a good game that was well-reviewed, but honestly, it didn't sell as well as was anticipated. Plans were made for a fourth game, but poor sales of Descent 3 caused the idea to be shelved. In 2002, amid some deep financial troubles at Interplay, the Descent trademark was allowed to lapse. Luckily, in 2008, they were allowed to reacquire it. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. All right, so Descent, uh, the, my, my choice to do Descent this week obviously resonated with people because I got two really good voicemails. The first one is from uh, King Isaac Linkser, who, uh, who has emailed in before. So here's King's comment. Hello, Billy Bob 476 Cities, King Isaac Linkser back again with an audio comment about Descent. And while you are going to talk about Descent mostly, I'm going to talk about my experiences I have with my friends uh, about a year ago, maybe less, time flies. So I'll just be talking about the co-op and uh, multiplayer experience I had with the game. And sort of my take on it as a gamer from this generation looking back at a game that I had never played before. So, my friend um, Moonshine Fox was on a bit of a nostalgia trip several months ago, or more. <laughs> Time flies so much I can't quite keep track of dates anymore. But suffice it to say, he decided, well, we should play Descent, and I was intrigued by the concept, and figured, hey, it's a new gaming experience, why not? Um, I had never played Descent previously, but I recall playing a game very similar to it many, 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 many years ago. Um, I don't think it was the Descent series, but it was within the 95 era. Maybe one day I'll actually track the game down. Suffice it to say, I figured, why not? So, Descent is an odd game to play, just because it has so many different degrees of movement and angles and just playing, just trying to fly and actually hit things without getting completely and utterly lost is almost impossible. I mean, the in-game map definitely helps, but <sighs> getting lost and disoriented and even sometimes feeling a bit sick to your stomach is something that you have to constantly fight in this game. I can understand why that would have turned off a lot of appeal to this game just on that basis alone. And other than that, it was a pretty solid game from uh, just a co-op perspective. You basically just go in, shoot the generator, get out, and accomplish a bunch of missions and fight tougher and tougher baddies along the way. And the game seemed to have a pretty good variety of, of uh, maps and of creatures too, so I, you know, they did a good job with it. But getting lost a lot, you definitely had to expect that. 
Even for someone who's not totally directionally challenged either, it was disorienting as heck. Um, let's see, multiplier that we managed to get set up was pretty good. We had, you know, we ba it was they're basically just arena modes where you're going around trying to kill each other. Sometimes blowing up the generator so you can move it to the next level, and leaving them to die. <laughs> But, um, no, it was, it was pretty good fun from what I had. Um, it's not a game I would say I, I'm dying to play, just based on the whole disorientation problem. And that's mostly just due to the d disorientation I would give from the game. But, you know, for those that want to look into it, why not? Uh, I'm sure you have the appropriate links to that, Billy Bob, and... Otherwise, my verdict on the game is I have fun with it, and for someone who's a quote-unquote um, next-gen player, for me it wasn't too bad an experience to just go back and uh, play this sort of game. So another game showed up on Kickstarter about a month ago called Retrovirus, very much a Descent-like um, game, six-axis shooter with modern graphics and playstyle. Um, however, despite its wide publicity that it got, it failed to meet its Kickstarter goal, and it's kind of hard to say whether it was just a fault on the developers behind it, or the lack of demand. I kind of almost think it was lack of demand for the game, because it looked like they had something good going, and they even had a demo of it running, but it still failed to meet its goal. So, it will be interesting to see if the developers behind it manage to figure out a way to get it off the ground after the failure. Um, if it does, great. If not, hmm, don't know. So, anyway, I hope you liked my comment, and until next time, I have been King Isaac Lancer, signing off. Thanks a lot, King. That's uh, I'm actually really happy you sent in that comment because, as I mentioned a couple times in the podcast, I didn't play a ton of Descent, and I definitely have very few memories of playing the multiplayer. So I'm glad that uh, you were able to give all of us that perspective on you know the multiplayer experience. And you know, I'll definitely agree with you. The game at times gets very uh, very disorienting, and uh, and all that. And uh, yeah, okay. So thanks a lot. And uh, we got one more. Uh, audio comment from Josh. So let's listen to that one now. Hello, Joe, and hello, um, fellow Upper Memory Block aficionados. Uh, this is Josh from Portland, Oregon, USA. Uh, hey, I, I love the podcast. I've been a big fan since you started. Um, eagerly look forward to each one that comes out. Um, <clears throat> so uh, yeah, a lot of fan, uh, a lot of fun. It's a, it's a whole lot of fun. I, I got into the DOS era games as a really young kid because. Um, I was born in 1984. First computer we ever got was in 1991, I believe. 91 or 92. Um, <clears throat> so Windows 3.1. And uh, it was a lot of fun. The first game I ever played was a game called Jump Jet, which still has a bit of a cult following today. And it's a super, super simple game. 
uh, super simple graphics, but it's a lot of fun. Um, uh, so anyway, I, I really enjoyed the uh, Red Baron podcast. I loved that game as a kid, and uh, Red Baron 3D was a lot of fun. And I'm trying it out again now. And whereas as a kid, I you know I used cheat codes, but now I, I like to crank up the realism factor and get really into it. Uh, but I geeked out on Descent uh, hugely um, as a kid. I think Descent 2 is probably the one I played more than any other. And the thing that really drew me to that game um, was that it's it's a you know it's it's got many different facets to it space exploration game kind of kind of space flight sim uh, puzzle game but it really was the first game I think that ever came out that was a it was an ordinance based game um, other games like that are, are like uh, Ratchet and Clank um, or Rise of the Triad where you, your motivation for going on is the next weapon that you'll find that does something awesome or the next gadget that you'll find um, <clears throat> that does something amazing and uh and descent really was like that is every you know every new level there was some awesome smart bomb or a nuclear weapon or different laser with a different color that uh would destroy a different kind of ship uh, but uh one thing that i that i would love to just geek out with you about um is i don't know if it be it was because i'm a geek and all geeks are like this or because i was a born writer but uh as a kid, those DOS games, some of them, like um, Wing Commander, had a pretty good storyline to it. Uh, you know, all the way through, the, there was a good plot arc. Um, and Red Baron had sort of a plot arc, but the games that I enjoyed more, really, were um, games like Descent, where there wasn't much of a story to it. It had a plot, but it wasn't very well explored or fleshed out. And uh, in Red Baron, when you play that, um, in games like that, and uh, Falcon... Um, I think it was just called F-16, um, games, other, other flight sim games and stuff. When there wasn't a story, I had a lot of fun uh, with me and my friend Christian, who was my best friend um, as a youngster, was also a geek. We would, we would literally get out a pad of paper and we would write out our character names, write out histories, write out whatever it was, and then we would build those Red Baron mission games um, you know, a little bit harder and harder as we went to, uh, to sort of make this character go. So it was almost like we were playing an RPG text game right along with, and, and this, and, you know, and the Red Baron game was just our engine to do that. Uh, and so Descent was the same way. Um, I, uh, I remember as a kid, my, my um, avatar name that I came up with for my Descent pilot, uh, his name was Zero um, Tex, Zero Tex, T-E-X. I don't know, don't ask, you know, hey six-year-old mind or whatever so uh but and my friends my friend's name was like uh frosty lobster or something along those lines and then um yeah and we had this whole story mapped out the enemies all had different names um and the bosses had different names so i'm curious to know if there's anybody else out there or or if you joe had done that too <clears throat> and come up with with characters for yourself uh, i did that with games that were just varying you know um I was really, really big into flight sims, and I was also really big into motocross games from a young age. And all the motocross games, I would have the same name, you know, and it was like, this is my motocross avatar career path. Um, lots of fun. Very geeky. So, uh, anyway, hey, keep up the good work. I love the podcast. Keep doing it. Um, and I will continue to listen. All right. Take care. Thanks a lot, Josh. That's a really great comment. And, you know, the, the whole weapon uh, aspect of the game, I didn't really cover that much, but it's true. Like, the, getting the next bigger gun, upgrading your lasers, getting 
the homing missile, getting the smart bomb, getting the the mega missile, all that stuff is is a lot of motivation. It's kind of like the uh, the gear grind in in World of Warcraft, or maybe more like Diablo, where you know the next best thing is is the reason to keep on playing. So that's really true. And uh, you know, as, as to kind of using your imagination to to impart more story to the game than exists, yeah, you know, I I, I most certainly did that. I, I didn't do it with Descent quite as much because because as I said, I didn't play it quite as much, but. You know, I played a lot of, uh, of of BBS door games, which are kind of these text-based multiplayer games. And, uh, you know, there was one called uh, Baron Realms Elite where where we had empires, all of me and my friends and the other people on, on the bulletin board. And, you know, it was all text and you had, you know, certain resources to attack with and certain resources to defend with and all that. And there, yeah, there there was no story whatsoever. It was just attacking and numbers and, and all that. And there, yes, you know, we all had empires with different names and dispositions and and everything and you really do kind of make up a story as you go along and you know i'm not going to go into the oh the kids these days and blah 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 they don't they don't have imagination because everyone does and kids these days do have imagination and all that but games that were of limited you know limited narrative that had limited limited narratives and games that had limited graphics and all that it really did force you as a player to impart some of yourself onto the game you know i remember doing something similar not necessarily even with gaming but you know i used to love to draw and you know i would draw these scenes and and you know i drew this whole space navy with different classes of ships and what they did and why they did it and what war they were fighting and all that, you know, it's just when you're a kid, your imagination is so active and so out there. And, and I really try as an adult to keep that a little bit, to try and keep a little bit of like childlike imagination when I look at things. And, and, you know, I feel like it, it helps me get through life a little bit easier because, you know, I, I can have a little bit more fun than someone who's serious all the time. And I got to sit at the office and do my job and just type things on a computer and, and blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, I, to me, just, just being serious all the time, not having much imagination and just kind of going through life at face value isn't, uh, isn't incredibly entertaining. It isn't a great way to go through life. So thanks again for that. So where can you get Descent today? Well, that's pretty straightforward. As I said at the beginning of the show, uh, Descent 1, 2, and 3 are available from GOG.com. Uh, 1 and 2 are sold as a single package, and 3 is a standalone game. Uh, both packages re- retail for $5.99 each. That's $5.99 US for everyone not from the States, including myself. Uh, they run just fine under the included DOSBox install. Uh, my only major issue with them has nothing to do with functionality. Uh, what it really does... Uh, where the problem lies with me is that the 320 by 200 3D graphics and kind of the the systems they had for anti-aliasing and all that at the time definitely make it very difficult to see uh, what exactly is an enemy and what exactly is just kind of background noise. So there is a solution to this, however. Uh, the solution is to use one of the Descent community developed source ports for both Descent 1 and 2. Now, if you recall back to episode six, when I talked about emulation, uh, there are two ways to go about getting old games to run on new hardware. The first was full emulation with DOSBox, like I talked about then, and like BJ talked about at the beginning of the show. Uh, The second one was something called a source port. So my example in the the episode of emulation was ScumVM. 
Now, this method, as I said in that episode, replaces the existing core game runtime files with a new version tailored to modern machines and operating systems. So the Descent community has created this type of environment specifically tailored to Descent 1 and 2. These, these source ports go a little bit farther than ScumVM does. While ScumVM replaces the game's interpreter and basic functionality and all that, it maintains the game's original resource files, sound, graphics, and whatever, kind of at their original levels. Now, these source ports allow for, uh, these descent source ports, I mean, allow for expandability. Now, this doesn't just allow uh, the games to run on Windows XP and later, it actually makes them look really awesome with updated high-res ship models, the ability to modify the music being played, uh, etc. So using the DXX Rebirth port, I was able to play the original Descent in native 1920 by 1080 full HD resolution and have lossless audio files of the original soundtrack recorded off a Roland SC55, which gave me the best possible reproduction of the music that I could ask for. So those music files, of course, were the ones uh, provided by Brandon Bloom that I mentioned earlier on. So all I had to do was move two files from my GOG installation of Descent 1 into the DXX Rebirth directory and download the high-quality audio recordings off of their site. So as much as playing the game in its original form was fun and nostalgic and all that, playing the slightly upgraded uh, version to look good on my modern gaming rig was really awesome and most definitely the way that I would recommend playing both Descent 1 and Descent 2. Attention, attention! Are you a fan of MASH, one of the most groundbreaking television series in history? Then take a listen to the MASH 4077 podcast, where hosts Kenny, Simon, and Al discuss their thoughts episode by episode. They will also share with you some little-known behind-the-scenes information, trivia, and so much more. So come and find them on iTunes by searching MASH 4077 podcast or online at www.mash4077podcast.com. All right, so big question to the show, as usual, does Descent hold up today? Uh, well, this answer, uh, you, you may already know it from, from my previous little talk, but uh, this answer does require a bit of qualification. So if I ask the question, does Descent in its original form hold up today? The answer to that is, well, kind of. The thing that really gets you, like I said, with the original versions is uh, that the 3D graphics are very low res. There are massive jaggies, and the enemy robots, I found at least, are very difficult to distinguish from the background of the mine. Also, the unclear graphics coupled with the six degrees of freedom kind of set off my motion sickness sensitivity. So yeah, a little bit like Wolf 3D. It wasn't entirely pleasant to play the game for an extended period of time, at least for me. But now, Go and download DXX Rebirth or DX2 XL, which is the uh, the another version of uh, of a source port for Descent 2. Um, the answer changes from kind of to 100% yes. With the tech upgrades and the the source ports provide you, this game is a ton of fun. Things are sharp and clear. You have more control options, an easier time getting into multiplayer matches, and all that. If you plan on playing these games, I strongly, strongly urge you to get one of the free source ports. They enhance the experience so much. These ports have great communities around them that are still actively developing and improving them even today. And if you have any issues getting them running, the forums are full of great information to get you on your way 
to playing Descent in its really great-looking modern form. So I guess that's it. That's the end of another show. Thanks to everyone that sent stuff in. I really do appreciate the comments. It's great to hear other people's memories and experiences with these games, uh, especially with games like Descent that I did play, but, you know, not very much. So if you want to be on the show, like the three people today, you can send email or audio comments to podcast at umbcast.com. Thank you, as always, to Rick Moyer for his great audio work. You can find all of his stuff over at moyermultimedia.com. Check out the show notes and some other occasional blog posts at umbcast.com. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash umbcast. And finally, follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash umbshow and me personally at twitter.com slash billybob476. And uh, if you're listening to this in some other method, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or stream us live at Stitcher Radio. Thank you very much, everybody. Next week, I'm going to be covering the uh, the pretty unique and uh, interesting LucasArts adventure game from 1990 called Loom. So if you guys want to go get a little Loom and uh, to prep for next week, you might want to give it a whirl. Thanks a lot, guys, and I will talk to you next time in the upper memory block. Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join.